If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking about sexual incompatibility and infidelity. Opening up about sex is often a challenging and vulnerable part of any relationship, and it can cause relationships to implode or explode. But today, we're going to offer some stits and stats regarding sexual incompatibility, sexual changes over time, and how non-monogamy can help sexual differences. We'll also talk about infidelity and why it can happen even in happy relationships. But first... Yeah. Oh yeah, we have two giant big birthday (laughs) shout-outs. No tiny tiny birthday shout-outs here. These are huge, they're meaningful, and one of them comes a little bit late. Sorry about that. But we're doing it? it anyways. Yes. yes, we're doing it anyways. Um, so right. the first shout out is from our lovely patro, Will. Uh-huh. To our other lovely patro, Kenzie. And Will says, happy birthday to one of the best people I know. I love you and I look forward to all of your upcoming adventures. Go kick ass. Yeah. Yeah. So happy birthday. Sorry that that's a little bit late, Kenzie. I hope uh, she kicked some ass, though. I hope you kicked ass and are continuing to kick ass now mm-hmm. into this oh, new yeah. year of your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and our second one is from Andy to Jen. And this is to wish you a very, very special happy, happy birthday. And that uh, he promised that he would do a dance for you. Uh, so be sure you tell him that he needs that to he do needs that. He needs to do that. He needs to do that. Uh-huh. See, the thing is that Andy just said, hey, can you give a shout out for a birthday? But he didn't give us specifically what to say. So that means we have free license right. to just so, cram words okay, right so in your mouth. He's promised a birthday dance. A what birthday else? Dance, what else has he promised? Um, uh, amazing birthday sex. Sure. Yeah. Great. Amazing mm-hmm. birthday sex. That's mm-hmm. kind of a given, I yeah, think. I yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and he's going to cook for you. So. That's great. Yeah. And he's going to do all that. three of those things at the same time. That's weird. <laughs> I'm not sure how he feels. Can feel you imagine about how that. impressive that would be, though? Dancing, having sex, and cooking dinner. Yeah. It's like the perfect relationship. <laughs> I think it can be done. Challenge accepted. Okay, oh, anyway, boy. well, if any of you would also like to have some kind of shout out on the show, then you can do that by going to patreon.com slash multiamory and becoming one of our $15 a month patrons. So yes, happy birthday to Jen and happy birthday to Kenzie. So moving on to the episode, um, looking up all of these statistics on sexual incompatibility um, and articles that were written for married couples specifically, I was really, really amazed at how many of them discussed opening up one's marriage as a way to deal with sexual incompatibility. So I feel like that's got to be a big change from even 10 years ago, where I feel like a lot of advice articles wouldn't have suggested something like that as a solution hmm. to to issues with, you know, sexual compatibility in a long-term marriage. Yeah, I wonder. 
Yeah, but it definitely like a lot of them were saying, "Oh, you know, don't uh don't throw a book in my head or don't freak out at me saying this, but here's something that you can try." And there's a lot of couples mm. out there who do it and a lot of couples who are really pleased about it and all of that stuff. So, I found that to be a really interesting idea. Uh just as a quick side note, little disclaimer here. These studies primarily deal with heterosexual relationships, cisgender people. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot of information about this kind of sexual incompatibility, infidelity, all these sorts of things for people on the ace spectrum or for trans people. Uh, there is some for same-sex couples, but unfortunately there's not usually like a one-to-one comparison where they'll do the same study with both same sex and opposite sex couples. Um, anyway, just unfortunately that is a limitation of the data that we have, but I do feel like a lot of the stuff still, still applies to any kind of relationship. Um, yeah, I also, mean, sexual incompatibility happens in so many relationships over time. And unfortunately yeah. it is a cause it's a leading cause of relationships to end or implode or anything. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I did want to say too, that also these studies are generally done on monogamous people because that mm -hmm. most studies go in assuming that's just what people do. Right. Uh, but I think that again, even with that, I think that the findings still can be applied to polyamorous or other types of non-monogamous relationships. I think a lot of the same, fundamental pieces are there, especially if people are cohabiting with each other about these types of sexual incompatibility. Mm. So with that, yeah. who wants to give us some stits and stats? Uh, well, I'll hop in with this first one that on average, Americans report having sex 85 times a year. And this was according to a survey that was done in 2007. Um, so that may have changed. I mean, I guess it's been 10 years since they did this survey. Um, I feel like I recall from seeing a list of like, you know, a list of countries that were ranked based on how frequently people living in those countries had right. sex. Because they did this study in 26 countries. Right, 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 uh -huh. right. That the Greeks have the most sex. They're just going at it all the time. Uh -huh. It's something like over a hundred times a year. Okay. Something ridiculous like that. Maybe not Good ridiculous. Probably great. <laughs> um, it doesn't seem that ridiculous, I guess. And then at the bottom of the list are the Japanese, where it's something like under 50 times a year, which is still sex once a week, to put it in a little bit of perspective. Um, sure. And then Americans kind of seem to live in the middle ground here with sex around 85 times a year, which yeah. is what, mm -hmm. like... One point <laughs> times Jeez. per week. Yeah, some yeah Something one like point that. times per week. Yeah, yeah, one and a half times. <laughs> like those those half times. What what do those mean exactly? And what counts as sex? When versus only one person no got off, I guess. I guess so. Jeez. Well, that's, I don't know. That is true. That is another question of what do you count as sex? And I guess this is people just self-reporting. So it's, it's whatever true. they would consider sex to be. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another one, another research um, survey that surveyed 3,240 men and 3,304 women who were married, living with a partner or in a relationship, and they asked them about their satisfaction with their sex lives. So a majority of men, meaning 54% and nearly as many as women, nearly as many women, 42%, said that they were unhappy with the frequency of sex that they had. Um, and this was published, I believe, in the um, issue of the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy mm -hmm. in 2015. So, yeah, 
I think it's it's worth pointing out that this is specifically asking if they're happy with the frequency of sex mm-hmm. and not the mm-hmm. quality of sex. Just wanted to point that out. Well, just they may have point. in the study. Just we just don't amount. have that stat. Yeah, the only stat we have here is is, is about the frequency of about sex. their frequency of sex. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of frequency of sex, I mean, I think that we covered that when we were talking about our Science of Happy Relationships episode, where in that mm-hmm. one, it was what? Like, they find that about two to three times a week, people are the happiest. Mm-hmm. Which um, puts you well above that average of 85 times yeah, a year. Yeah, quite above the average. That's, that's a lot of sex to have in a year. Um, but that's how happy it, you would be the happiest if you were having <laughs> two to three times a week Again, with the caveat of like, if you are an allosexual person who Mm -hmm. gains satisfaction and pleasure out of having sex, if that doesn't apply to you, then of course it's going to be entirely different things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But I just, I do think that's interesting. And, but in that study, they didn't really cover like whether it's you having sex with multiple people or hookups or sex with the same person. Uh, I'm actually equally weighted or not. I'm actually not sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure because it was. We'll have to go back and check, but I'm not sure if that one was by the Gottman Institute. And if it was, it makes me think that that stat would be specifically about sex for married couples. Right. Since that's primarily what they study. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm not sure about that. That's a good question. Well, th- right. Well, no, it was about just couples because then we talked about the question of, well, how does that then apply to polyamorous relationships? Does that mean that each relationship needs to have sex that many times per week? Because obviously that gets out of hand really fast. <laughs> I'm assuming not. And I don't think so. Yeah. No, you're having, just if you, have, if you yourself if you three are. partners, then you're having sex nine times a week. Right. And then you're wow. having sex. Though, so if you've got, if you've got three partners and you're having sex with each of them once a week, you're hitting that three times a week <laughs> happiness quotient right there from the study. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, that's a the thing there. Okay. So this study published in 2015 from the social psychological and personality science journal, um, first said that one time a week was the only thing that would make you happiest. And if you had more sex than that, it wouldn't make you any less or more happier. Really? But then they did a second study group that said and showed that if you were having sex two to three times a week, then yes, you were happier. So apparently this two to three times a week number is the one that people are going by now. Like that's the magic number. Apparently, yeah. It used to be just once a week. But people are wanting more now. People are wanting more. (laughs) Well, here's... Okay, I mean, I feel like all these studies are leaving out this thing that we've talked about in past relationships, but there is this thing known as the Coolidge effect. Have you guys heard of the Coolidge effect? I have, but can you remind us what it is? Okay, so it's this really silly story. That is the reason why it's called the Coolidge effect. Uh, So Calvin Coolidge, who is our president of the United States, uh, he and his wife were touring like a turkey farm or something. And they were touring it separately. Like he was with all the men and like she was with all the women. And so like the women's group were touring this turkey farm and their tour guide was explaining that uh, the male turkey has, will mate with a female turkey like five times in a single day. Okay. And Mrs. Coolidge was like, can you tell that to my husband? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then, and then, so then, uh, Mr. President Coolidge's Uh group came by and the tour guide gave them the same fact. 
And he said, oh, is it all with different turkeys? And the tour guide's like, yes. And he said, can you tell that to my wife? Um, I don't know if that story is true or not. It's just kind of anecdotal, and it's that's almost kind of like the setup of a, of a joke, you know? But, it does sound like the setup of a joke. But that's why the name's been given to this thing, the Coolidge effect, with the, which they've found with both humans and also in studies specifically with lab rats, that um, both male and female lab rats, if you stick you know, a pair of like a male, female lab rat in a cage together, they'll like sex and sex and sex and sex and sex and sex. They'll have sex, 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 sex until they're both exhausted Mm -hmm. until they don't want to have sex anymore. Um, However, the instant that you introduce a new rat into the cage, they'll want to have sex with that new rat again. You know, it's like if you put a new female in the cage, then even though the male is exhausted, then he'll be like, oh, okay, no, I can have sex with this, this rat. Um, And it's the same thing with human beings also that, like that there is kind of this scientific basis for like variety and newness that does Mm. drive our sex drives. And so that's why I think it's interesting that these studies so far have just been studying people who are having sex with the same person over a Mm -hmm. long period of time, rather than seeing like, what are people's sexual satisfaction? Again, like you were saying, like if they're having sex, maybe once a week uh, with one partner, but also once a week with another partner, um, would that have the same effect? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's continuing to perpetuate this narrative that like, we are monogamous creatures and need to continue being only with one person. And that when we find the one or the right person, we're only going to ever want to have sex with them. Mm. For sure. Yeah. Um, It's like these studies are setting it up for that to be the case, but then also trying to look at sexual satisfaction and other things and not really. Yeah. That they talk about like in books like sex at dawn, which is that it's really hard for us to take ourselves out of our cultural context in order to study Clearly. these things. It's really hard to separate ourselves from confirmation bias when we're looking at these things. And I mean, that goes both for very pro-monogamy studies and very anti-monogamy studies as well. That, right, you know, or, or any kind of study. It swings both ways. Yeah, any kind of study about, about any part of culture, especially any kind of more like psychological studies, is we do come in with so many assumptions, and many people, scientists included, have a lot of assumptions that we've never even thought were worth questioning. Mm-hmm. Like we never even mm-hmm. thought were questionable. Right. Right. And I think that monogamy is a big one for a lot of people, mm-hmm. for a lot of scientists studying this stuff might be really fascinated in it, but haven't really considered this. And I, this is starting to change. We are seeing more studies about non-monogamy. So hopefully this is at least one step toward questioning some of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what do we think about, about what are the reasons driving people being dissatisfied with their sex lives or being dissatisfied with the frequency of sex that they're having. I know that, I mean, I I feel like it's a pretty commonly held cultural wisdom that like, if you're married monogamously for a long time, that you're going to have to try really hard to keep the sex interesting still. There's an entire industry built around trying to reignite the passion. I even hate that phrase because it's used (laughs) everywhere. You know, reignite that spark, as it were. Um, And I know that people will talk about like maybe maybe it varies individually that some people just naturally have higher sex drives than others sometimes it goes through phases sometimes people make assumptions along gender lines that oh yeah men are horn dogs and women don't want sex you know we still have that whole tired out narrative that affects this but i mean what do you guys think well i in some of my uh research that i did today there were uh some very religious websites talking about (laughs) like you know, it's God's plan if you are having sexual incompatibilities and you just need to work through it. Like he put this in your way as an obstacle for you to work through and become closer to your husband. 
And it, it was very fascinating and made me personally cringe a little bit. Maybe not everyone out there would. But yeah, I, I found that very interesting. It also said, like, if you have sex before marriage, like, that's a thing that Satan does. So don't do that. It's a thing that's, well, wait, I don't know if that's quite the, that. if that's quite the, wait, I, <laughs> wait, hang on. Sorry. I think that that was lost in translation a little bit. I don't know if sex before marriage is a thing that Satan does. Maybe it's just a thing that he loves. Well, yeah, I don't it's know. a thing that like people well, that, that he encourages us. He encourages to us to exactly. Do it. Okay, got yeah, it. that he encourages people to do that, and so definitely don't do that. Well, there, okay. Well, there was that. There was some religious leader that that a couple of years mm-hmm. ago like put out some article basically saying that if your wife doesn't want to have sex with you, like just don't look at her face and have sex with her anyway, because like it's her duty as your wife to submit to her husband and to give him what he wants so just like don't it's like terrible and yeah. like all of course Excuse all backed me by, while i go kill scripture. myself oh my well, god more like while i go like puke all over myself right yeah Jeez. anyway Jesus. anyway i think we're losing the thread we are, here sorry, a little bit sorry sorry okay uh something so that hormones I, well, <laughs> something something that i wanted to 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 talk about in this was i think what emily was getting to which was talking about hormone levels and how those will change throughout our life Mm -hmm. and that those can also vary from person to person um Mm -hmm. but i i think you know generally the one that we go to right away is testosterone right but i think something that i wanted to point out though is that there's a lot of misconceptions about testosterone uh one of those is that testosterone makes you horny and also aggressive and that Mm -hmm. it's kind of often associated with sort of negative things unless you're trying to do like bodybuilding and then you know oh i need that for building muscle uh but a a couple common misconceptions one is that testosterone is actually a hormone that's very much responsible for lowering your level levels of cortisol for making Mm -hmm. you less stressed Mm -hmm. for also making you more able to focus and to handle your emotions. So it's actually a little bit, uh, you know, with all of the neurotransmitter chemicals like dopamine and serotonin and all of those, there are things where too much of it and too little of it often have very similar symptoms. Interesting. That it's more about everything being in balance. Hmm. So anyway, I just wanted to to throw that out there. We're not going to go into brain chemistry in this episode, although that'd be a fun one for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but with testosterone, sort of at different times of day, this might be peaking also throughout your monthly cycle with for both, both men, men and, and women. women. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, whatever or however you identify, whatever hormones are in your body. Right. right. Yeah. And then also, I guess the other misconception I wanted to address is that, you know, that women, this, this is not a misconception, that women do have much less testosterone than men, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the excuses people give for, oh, that's why men want sex all the time and women don't. But the fact is that women are much more sensitive to testosterone, so having less of it still has the same effect as it does on a man in mm-hmm. terms of things like sex drive and stuff like that. Interesting. Because otherwise, if you were looking at that, I mean, women have like a tenth the testosterone of men. Yeah. Y- they don't have a tenth the sex drive of men. Right. You know, no. more and more studies are showing that men and women have basically equal sex drives and basically equal interest in both casual sex and long-term sex and sexual satisfaction and all of that. There's more like cultural factors right. that that will make those different for each other. Mm-hmm. So 
to go back to the question of how much sex you want to be having, like the study we were talking about earlier that was asking if people are satisfied with the frequency of sex they're having. I think that especially when you look at people as a spectrum and that not everyone's going to be the same, that you might be able to find averages that I think something important to think about is the question of how much sex do I actually want to be having? Because I do think it would be interesting to do a similar study looking at people who are not in, in any committed relationships and are just having casual sex and to ask them, mm. how much sex are you having and are you satisfied with that amount of it? And then to compare it to maybe those same people at another time in their life in a relationship, how much sex are you having? Are you satisfied with it? I think there's a lot to be seen here because I think that in terms of numbers and amount of time that we're having sex, I think a lot of it can be based on what we think that we should want mm -hmm. or what yeah. we think other people are doing and that we need to try to match them or, or be better than them or something. Yeah, it's challenging how much we place on our partners when we are in a relationship versus maybe when we're single because mm -hmm. it, potentially when we're single, we're not having sex that often we may have like a one night stand or a hookup or something or like friends with benefits or whatever and it's not a committed relationship and we may be having sex frequently less than we would even if we were in some sort of long-standing relationship but we feel satisfied and then for whatever reason when we're in a relationship and we're only having sex once a week and we feel jilted by that. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said by that. And the question is, why? Yeah. Why do you? Yeah. And in I think reality, this... it may be more than what yeah. you were having before. That's interesting. Right. And I, I think that's absolutely true. I've definitely yeah. found that. It, there have been times in my life where maybe I'm having just as much sex as I really want to be having, but I still will feel upset like I'm not having sex enough because mm -hmm. it's only once a week or it's only once every two weeks or, you know, whatever it is at that time in my life, or maybe it's only twice a week. And I'm like, God, that's not enough because we have this kind of cultural idea, an imagined idea, maybe based on our peers or what kinds of movies or whatever we watch of like, Oh, if I were really in love or if my life were really exciting, I would be having sex every day. Even yeah, if in like, reality, you wouldn't be very happy with that. Yeah, well, like it's this true. notion that that our partner wanting to have sex with us means that they're interested in us and that we're worthy mm. of their time. I guess it's true. We do attach so much to it. Yeah. I guess it kind of depends yeah. on the person and what they've attached to it, I suppose. Because mm -hmm. I feel like that question digs into questions of like, what are the expectations for the relationship? Is there a sense of entitlement to sex? coming mm -hmm. into this that's either conscious or maybe even subconscious um yeah that's interesting also just the different kind of intentions for having sex like is this sex that we're having in order to get off or is this sex that we're having in order to connect, connect emotionally with each other is this sex that we're having to like have fun and role play with some new thing we've been talking about is it sex we're having to try some new physical thing that we've been thinking about doing, that all of those have very different qualities to them. And I think that looking at that in studies would also be interesting to see people's level of satisfaction. Yeah. And I did want to bring up real quick that uh, we don't have the studies up here right now, but I've definitely read a number of places that have done studies showing that people who are swingers do report higher levels of relationship satisfaction than people who are strictly monogamous. Um, and I do think those studies are interesting to look at 
well, maybe they're having different types of sex. That maybe right. it's not even so much about the fact that it's with other people, although I think that's definitely a factor with that newness. But they're, they're probably also having different sex. They're having more varied sex and mm-hmm. not just kind of the same let's get off together. Right, right. yeah. So uh, we could talk about this for so many hours. I know, right? But yeah. I want to <laughs> bring us back to the more you know practical part of this episode, which is if... Uh, you're finding yourself in a relationship where there is some kind of sexual incompatibility. Um, or maybe you're just going through a slump, like your partner wants more sex or less sex than you do. What are some things that you can do to actually get your sex life back on track or back to a place where both of you are feeling happier and more satisfied? Yeah. Well, I think a good place to start is just to, if you can afford it, to find a therapist to talk to about that mm-hmm. or a counselor mm-hmm. or a, a life coach or something who can actually just start having an open dialogue. Because I think a lot of these things can be caused by not having that open dialogue, right? About Mm -hmm. what kinds of sex you want to be having or what makes sex even interesting to you in the first place is maybe, you know, there might be other things that are missing and having a third party come in and, and help you talk about that or even just with yourself can be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it's also important to think about ways that you can generate intimacy and closeness in your relationship outside of sex. Uh, It's important to examine, you know, some people have sex in order to feel close and some people need to feel close first before they want to have sex with somebody. Um, And that can shift and change depending on your life and your context and things like that. But being able to put yourself in that context of, of like, what are the ways that I can generate closeness that are not about sex can be ways of actually not only making the intimacy in your relationship better, but maybe making it just a little bit more easy for you, the two of you to connect sexually as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this may not be it's spontaneous or feel like something you really want to do, but schedule it. Like, maybe there's only a couple times a week in which you're not coming home super late from work and you don't feel super tired, or you have, like, a morning together or a day together or something, just schedule sex for those times, and it can become something that you look forward to and that you're excited about, and then it can just become and work into your daily routine each week. Yeah, I think there's a lot of pieces to this, because... The complaint people will give is, oh, well, that kind of takes the like romancing and flirting out of it. And I would say, on the contrary, if it's something that you know you have a plan to do this evening, say, while you're at work, you could be sending each other flirty mm. text messages about mm-hmm. it. Like you know ahead could, of time. Right. You know that this is going to be received because we have a plan to do right. this together. Um, I've also found that for Dedeker and myself, if we'll schedule like date nights that don't even have to be specifically, we're going to have sex. It's just, we're going to spend time together. We're not going to work. We're going to have our projects done. We're going to pretty up. We're going to take a shower, right? We work from home. So sometimes we can let that slide a bit. Kind of barbaric, right? But just kind of knowing that we're going to be spending quality time together, whether it's about sex or not is, is incredibly important. And I think will Mm -hmm. also lead to, to having more sex and and at least having those opportunities for intimacy, like you were saying, not just sex, but other types of intimacy by by doing other things to show that you prioritize each other and that you value your time with each other. Mm -hmm. I'd say the next one would be to tap into your fantasies. 
like we were just talking about, sexual satisfaction doesn't have to just be a numbers game. It could be what kind of sex you're having. Um, I think this. I think this note is actually a good one where a therapist comes in really handy for sure, um, helping you uncover that to help you uncover that to help you be able to have those vulnerable talks. Because especially if yeah. you have some kind of sexual fantasy that you don't think is going to be received well, or maybe that's even been rejected in the past mm. by your partner or by other partners or by ex partners or whatever, there can definitely be a lot of baggage surrounding that and getting help for that process to open up and talk about these things. And a therapist can even help you find like a compromise. You know, if you have a fantasy that your partner's not so into having a third party, there can really help you to kind of find a safe middle ground that both of you can play in. Yeah. I think also with fantasies, if they have been rejected before, sometimes that can be because of a lack of understanding Mm -hmm. of what's behind the fantasy. Like what is it about it that makes it exciting? I think that can be really important Mm -hmm. that a therapist can help you find. Cause I know that for example, for me, there are, you know, fantasies or role plays or things that I've done with, with partners and had a really fun time doing it that if you'd, said to me like oh this type of like what what about this kind of sex you know 4 years ago i might have said oh no way like that that seems really weird to me i don't i don't get it like why would anyone want to do that it's cuz i didn't understand cuz i'd never really had is it something i hadn't thought of before so it's not something i'd really looked at like what are the pieces of this that would make it fun and i think that's the type of thing that uh, specifically a sex therapist especially if they're a kink aware professional that they'll be able to help you understand those things and help you communicate better with each other about here. This is what's actually exciting to me about this. What if we modified it this way? So there's still that excitement in it. And now you understand it. Right. I think also reading, er- reading erotica can help with that too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It gets Love you in, in the heads of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And bouncing off of that communication 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 as we always say on this but yeah yeah, i mean therapy can help with that for sure but just opening up and choosing to be vulnerable with your partner sex is a very challenging thing to talk about and it can bring up a lot of scary emotions it can bring up past traumas past anything that occurred to you in a sexual situation i know for me sex has been challenging because of those things um, and yet, when you're able to be vulnerable with your partner, it really is lovely um, to open yourself up to them and to allow new and beautiful things to come out of that. So a sex therapist can also help with this kind of thing, with learning communicative strategies for sex and talking about it with your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing to consider, if you're finding that you know the sex life in your relationship has become not so great, this is kind of a challenging question. Um, but I think it's worth considering and that's to ask yourself, was the sex even good in the first place? Um, and that, that sounds like a very confronting question, but there's this really interesting article that I read on, uh, the telegraph and, uh, making the argument that, so first of all, if we look at statistics and we see that women in casual hookups, casual sex are much less likely to be satisfied than men are. Like they're much less likely to have an orgasm or to have the sex that they want to have. Um, however, women still do seek out casual hookups because sleeping with new people is exciting. Um, you know, sleeping with new people that you're attracted to is exciting. And that newness can be something that can make the sex interesting and exciting, even if you don't have an orgasm. However, 
if you start to develop a relationship with someone and on, you know, an ongoing relationship or an ongoing sexual relationship, when that newness starts to wear off, then you're just left with maybe sex that was mediocre to begin with, honestly. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But just checking in and thinking back, like, even when I had sex with this person for the first time, like, was the sex that good? Like, outside of me mm. being really interested in them as a person, you know, like, were they receptive to my communication? Did I try to communicate what I needed? Because if you didn't set a foundation of actually communicating what kind of sex you like or what does get you off or what does feel good that can carry over as you develop a relationship. So again, if you think back and realize like, oh, actually the sex has never really been that good, doesn't mean that you're doomed, but it just means it's something to think about and something to be aware of moving forward. They're like, okay, that means that maybe we just need kind of a little bit more of a paradigm shift and we need to change the way that things, um, the way that we're communicating about sex. I would add to that, too, that even if your sex was really good at the beginning, that I think often we get caught up in this idea of, I want to get back to the kind of sex that we used to have. And I think that that kind of thinking, or even you know, in, in anything, trying to get back to the kind of romance and excitement that we had at the beginning, that that will usually lead you to be disappointed, partly because going backwards is a difficult thing to do. But yeah, secondly, the world be- only spins forward, <laughs> right? Because also your memories of what that was, aren't necessarily the reality of it. Right. So if you're able to change your focus in terms of sex to finding new things, finding new ways to connect, finding new things that you want to try, which does involve a lot of communication, mm-hmm. that that will that that will be more likely to lead you to having fulfilling, enjoyable sex than trying to just get back to what you think you remember sex was like mm-hmm. when you first started dating. Right, right. Yeah. And then the last one here, um, kind of a, another somewhat challenging question, is to ask yourself, is this even about sex at all? You know, maybe you do still feel very attracted to your partner. When you do have sex, it is still very passionate and exciting and connected and satisfying. It could be about something else entirely. You know, one or both of you could just be very stressed or very distracted, um, both in good or bad ways. Um, and I know that, you know, some people seek out sex as a way to relax and some people seek out sex only after they're relaxed like they can't have sex until they're relaxed so it's very important to check in and be like which one am i am i is my partner in a different modality how can we mm-hmm. he- understand that about each other and kind of tailor our sex lives and how we approach each other appropriately based on that information yeah, yeah. definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and I to think understand- understanding yeah, go, you just said we said the same words. <laughs> no, but um, but I mean, understanding is a huge thing. I think is so much blame gets tossed around in sex, mm-hmm. and like, well, you don't want this. You always say no to me. Blah blah blah. But it, having understanding and compassion for your partner in any area uh, that maybe they you know see sex as a way that one is giving love and that if you're not having it with them then maybe they feel left out or like they're not being loved in the way that they want Mm. and compassion on the other side like maybe someone just wants to emotionally connect and that sex they see as just something physical and it's not giving them what they want i think having compassion for both sides is incredibly important here yeah, definitely. Learning to speak each other's languages. We've talked about it with yeah. love languages and apology languages. We should we should make our own guide to the, the five sex languages. I don't know if God, Dr. Guess. Gary Chapman would get on that one. but <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll be our own thing. Gary! Uh, 
For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. Now let's talk about cheating and adultery. (laughs) See, and this one is important because I I think there's a lot of people out there for whom this has been a thing in their lives or Mm -hmm. they come from families that have had this in there. I personally was born out of a literal affair. So it's a very prevalent thing in my life. Not a figurative affair? Not a figurative one. No, my father was married and my mother had an affair with him. So, and then I was their love baby. So it it definitely, well, truly, it definitely has changed my life. And I think it can change a lot of people's lives. And it's caused me to look at the reasons behind why this happens in relationships. So, yeah, let's uh, go from there. So according to divorcestatistics.info, in the United States, 17% of all divorces that are occur that occur are due to adultery um, from one or the other partner. Mm-hmm. And I, I did want to point out, this is interesting, that it's definitely not the leading cause of divorce, which I believe is money. Money, yeah, I think it's money. Um, yeah, that but makes sense. it is still 17% is fairly significant. And that's also considering that of these 17% of divorces, what about all of the ones that have had affairs or infidelity right. that didn't get divorced? Right. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Like where, and because the rate of that, it's like, you know, it's like, what? It's like 50% of affairs are never found out, right? Well, this is the tricky thing. Which is thing. crazy. Yeah. So we have one study here that shows that 22% of married men have considered, have committed an adulterous act at least once in their life, and 14% of married women have had affairs at least once during their married lives. I've seen other studies that mm-hmm. have put these numbers as high Way as higher. 50% yeah. for yeah. both yeah. for both sides, mm-hmm. putting the numbers much closer. I've also heard another statistic that um, 80% of marriages have had some kind of infidelity from one partner or the other in them, right? It's it's a difficult thing because it relies on people self-reporting, right. for one. It relies on different definitions of and infidelity, different definitions right? of infidelity, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm which is something we talked about in our conscious monogamy episode of what exactly. does count as infidelity for you. Right. Yeah. Right. So these studies can, can really vary, but basically the takeaway here is that it happens. Mm. This is a very real thing. It's not something we can just 
ignore or say, oh, if people just tried harder or loved harder, then this isn't going to happen, that we can just fix this. Mm -hmm. But that's not, it's not that simple. Yeah, well, and the thing is that infidelity happens also in relationships that uh, are happy and functioning and not falling apart. Um, and Esther Perel, who's a who's a therapist and social researcher, she's written and spoken a lot about this particular subject. Um, you know, her amazing book, Mating in Captivity. And she's got some good TED Talks as well. She's got some great TED Talks. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, that she covers the subject a lot of like this paradox of being in monogamous long-term relationships and trying to make the sex better, even though the rest of the relationship is fine. I don't know. Just the, I think it's... You know, the same topics that a lot of the polyamorous community has been talking about for years. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just that, you know, she presents it in this very, I think, uh, I I think easy to swallow, um, scientifically backed kind of way. Um, And so she wrote this Atlantic article called um, Why Happy People Cheat. Um, it was and, a great article. Yeah, it's a fantastic article. And she, I think what really struck me about it is that she mentions the fact that years and years and years ago, we knew that marriage wasn't going to fulfill us in every single front. You know, like especially when marriages were arranged or when they were political or when it was some kind of financial transaction, mm-hmm. when it really was just the business contract. Like we knew that this person wasn't supposed to be our lover, our best friend, our parent, our caretaker, our absolute everything. And so sleeping with somebody else was just kind of like a reaction to that. It's like, well, I, I know very pragmatically my wife or my husband isn't supposed to be my lover, basically. <laughs> you know, there's so many stories of like the French royal court for hundreds and hundreds of years that was just like so common that it's like we're all we're practically quite open about it that yeah you have your spouse and that you have your lover or multiple lovers and what's changed now is that now that marriage is no longer seen as this business contract now it is a super romantic thing now we are supposed to be fulfilled by absolutely everything by our partner now we stray and now we cheat because our relationships and our marriages failed to deliver what we thought that they were going to deliver, which, which was is like everything. endless satisfaction yeah, and everything. everything. Yeah. Well, in addition, people live so much longer now than they ever have before, which is going to cause... It, I mean, you, you change so much over the course of your life, and the person that you were when you married, you know, Ted, may be different... <laughs> Then you know, good old Ted, when you were 25, maybe very different than when you're 65 Mm. or 45 or whatever. And it just may cause different things to occur within you. And you may want something different than just good old Ted at 25. It reminds me, I forget who it was, but I was watching some stand-up comedian who did make this joke that, like, the people who invented marriage invented it at a time when everyone lived till they were, like, 40. Like, if the people who invented marriage saw what marriage was today, they'd be like, no, 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 this is not what we intended at all. (laughs) No, we didn't want you to be with the same person for 60 years. That's ridiculous. Right. So the important takeaway too from this is just to go back to that idea that people will have affairs even if they're very satisfied in their relationship even if they're having good sex in their relationship that Mm -hmm. people will sometimes still seek out affairs or have affairs and that that draw toward 
newness, toward novelty, toward exploring other sides of ourselves, as well as connecting with other people, that that is just a part of our makeup as these social primates that we are. And that regardless of what you choose to do about that, whether it's choosing to be polyamorous or be, you know, swingers or some other kind of non-monogamy, or if you choose to be monogamous, no matter what, I think the the big thing that I would love everyone to just be imbued with this knowledge <laughs> is that nothing about you or your relationship is broken mm -hmm. if you want to have sex with other people. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what you decide to do with that information is fine. And I think that a lot of people might actually be less likely to make irresponsible choices that might hurt their current relationships if they accepted that. Mm. If they understood, okay, nothing's broken about me and nothing's wrong with my relationship, the fact that I want to have sex with this other person, so knowing that, I can make the choice to not do that mm. if that's yeah, going to hurt my relationship, right? Sure. Or I can communicate about mm -hmm. it. Either one. But instead, we get caught up in this kind of romanticization of what a marriage is and what a relationship is, that it's going to satisfy everything and we'll never have eyes for anyone else, as, yeah. as the line goes. For the next 60 years. Yeah. Right. And then if we do, we feel like we're broken or we feel like mm -hmm. this relationship must not quite be the right one or, you know, just all these awful things that we beat ourselves up about and that we don't communicate about because of that. It's part of the reason why I was so freaking bored when I finally watched Eyes Wide Shut for the first time, <laughs> which was which was only like oh Stanley maybe two years ago. You know, I like I didn't see it when it first came out, and so I I'd only watched it really like after I'd kind of had my own sexual awakening and after I'd already been non-monogamous for so many years that I was like, okay, first of all, never been to a sex party that actually looks like that. <laughs> That's not what they actually look like. Second of all, I'm just like, just talk to her. Like your wife's hot and like you seem to have good communication oh, yeah. and like you guys have hot sex it's like just freaking talk to her like I, I just I was just like so bored this entire movie him just being uh, uh, but, uh, uh, and I'm just like dude anyway um, I guess Jason the, and I watched that movie together we did yeah I had I guess in the before. I guess in the 90s neither did I more well, scandalous. I, I think for most people still today, that no, whole I get it. I, I get it that that's it's challenging, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. Kubrick's this, yeah, Kubrick is Kubrick. We can appreciate it for that. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, we'll we'll save that for our multi-filmery <laughs> multi podcast, podcast where I can rant about my thoughts about Kubrick as a director. At least Whoa. he's not as bad as Terrence Malick. Hey, okay, the New it. World is one of my favorite movies. Mm, Tree of Life was terrible, but the New World was one of my favorites. Okay. And we are really not supposed to be talking about this on this podcast. <laughs> Let's save this for our film review podcast <laughs> that will be made someday. Who okay, knows? I'm going to get us back on track. Get us back on track, please. Okay, to get us back on track. So the question that often gets posed to me, specifically as a coach, is can an open marriage or non-monogamy or polyamory either prevent the potential fallout of infidelity or can it be a solution to recover from infidelity well can it <sighs> well the thing is I, I mean there isn't any statistics on this yet they haven't yet studied couples who have a history of infidelity and then opened their marriage and then tried to track how satisfied they were or how happy they were after that like we don't have the studies on that yet unfortunately anecdotally from working with my clients, I feel like I see basically like a 50-50 success rate that mm. sometimes infidelity happens in a monogamous marriage and 
that is the thing that finally forces the conversation to happen between two people about expectations, about what they actually feel about each other, about what they need, either sexually or emotionally. And they're either able to to be like, okay, we can kind of reconnect again monogamously now that we know more about what each other needs, or they can decide, okay, well, let's try this new paradigm. Let's try opening up now that we know what each other need and then they move forward and then and then you know the infidelity is the is an unfortunate inciting incident but it gets them on this track towards maybe a relationship that's going to ultimately make both parties happier however i feel like with just as much frequency infidelity happens maybe a couple tries to kind of reactively be like well maybe if we have an open marriage we can still stay together but then somebody you know one or both of us can get these other needs met but there's still been this betrayal of trust it Mm. still probably happened in a context of not being able to communicate so those bad communication habits or or totally absent communication habits may still be affecting them um and it can also still cause some resentment that can that can on the flip side make it twice as hard to open up after that so it's a hard question like i uh, for some people yes i would say it would be a great solution for other people i would say no definitely not it's it's not but i don't think that you know just going to an open marriage or polyamory anything like that is going to be the number one go-to solution after infidelity but well i think something else that that we've talked about before on this show is you know when people will ask oh well does being in open relationships you know make them better like does it solve these problems and you know in this case it could be this infidelity or does it solve whatever other problems about the passion in your relationships or about becoming codependent with people, whatever it is. And, and my answer at least to that is pretty much always that the skills and the traits, like you were just talking about having honest communication about what it is you want and finding solutions to it, things like that, that those skills amongst others are important for any kind of relationship, whether it's Mm -hmm. non-monogamous or monogamous It's just that in monogamous relationships, so often we don't think we need to do any work because we're sold this myth that if we find the right person, all our problems are solved for us. Mm -hmm. That at least in non-monogamy, we know we're going off that script. So people, I think, are a little bit more likely to have more serious conversations and do more introspection about it. But that said, I do think people still get into polyamory or non-monogamy also hoping it will be the same magic bullet Mm. that they thought finding the one would be that it's like Mm. oh well if i just do this that's going to solve all of my problems and then when it doesn't they get disillusioned with it or they are less honest than they need to be to make it actually work and so then you know it all all ends up falling apart but just this idea that that neither one is this magical solution Kind of like we were talking about with love is not enough. Right. Also, like yeah. polyamory is not enough. Yeah. You can't just be nothing poly is and, enough. and now nothing you're is enough. relationships. Just nothing is you, enough. No, you just, you have to work at it. Life is work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, that's it's okay. Working at improving yourself and, mm-hmm. and yeah. getting better and better in your relationships. And I know that sounds like a lot of work and sometimes it will be, but I think that overall the rewards from that and the fun that you can have doing that once you start getting used to doing those sorts of things and asking those kinds of questions of yourself will actually be much more enjoyable in the long run. Well, yeah. let's get to work on this multi-film review podcast. I know, right? Who, who oh would tune God. into that? Please let us know. <laughs> you can tweet at us at Multi-Amory and let us know if you want to see our multi-filmery podcast. 
With that, thank you all so much. If you would like to have a question or comment played on our show, you can call us at 678-MULTI-05. And that 678 is the area code, just so you know. Uh, also, you can email us at info at or you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also leave us a voice message through Facebook if you'd like to have your question played on the show. To support our show, to join our private Facebook community, you can go to patreon.com slash multiamory. You can also get a shout out on the show at the $15 and up level. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. And our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh Anand from the Fractal Cave EP.